0: Come on, really shout for Jesus this morning. That's why we're here. Hey, stretch your hands to heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you that every time we gather, regardless of circumstance or situation, you inhabit the praises of your people. You don't ask us if we're worth inhabiting our presence. You just show up and you do what only you can do. And Father, we pray in these uncertain times that you would redirect our focus and our attention upon you. Father, we didn't gather together just to feel good. We came to fix our eyes on you. And we know that even in the midst of emotions and feelings, God, that that truth always presides and always triumphs. And it always rules and reigns. So let us walk in the victory that we've been blessed with. Father, bless our time together. Bless every family, every marriage in this environment, all of those who are watching online. Father, bless your children in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, you can have a seat. I'm glad that you're with with us today, and um, what an exciting time to be a son and a daughter of the Most High. Um, God is good, is He not? Let's try it. God is good all the time. God is good. That was pretty bad. We're going to do it again. God is good all the time. Hey, I I want to talk to you about trusting God in uncertain times. Um, I I realize as believers, it's easy for us to get caught in emotion. It's easy for us to get caught in hysteria. It's easy for us to, um, to be overwhelmed by what's happening around us, whether it's a virus, whether it's election, whether it's racial tension, whatever it may be, it's easy for us to be consumed by things that are around us. And I'm not saying that we should be apathetic to the things that are around us, but I believe that we have a guiding principle in the Word of God that should see us through uncertain times. Um, Uncertainty is not a new thing for believers. The Word of God says that Actually, Christ promised us something, and and we don't realize it. We love to claim all the promises, but if we're going to claim all of them, let's recall this one thing he said, that in this world, you'll have trouble. Woo! (laughs) But he says, take heart. Why? For what he has accomplished, for I have overcome the world. And so he tells us right up from, from the beginning that in this world, it won't be easy Things won't, you won't be applauded when you honor me. People won't cheer you on when you choose to serve me and trust in me. But that's all right, for I've overcome the world. I've been praying, as many of you have in these seasons um, that we've been going through as a church and as a nation and as a state, and I've realized something that the real pandemic that's happening in our world, and not just exclusive to the U.S. or New Jersey or to this area, is a pandemic of fear. And fear has consumed every conversation. Fear has consumed the, the board meeting. It's consumed the educational environment. It's consumed churches. It's consumed the political environment. It's consumed everything. Times of uncertainty cause people to retreat back into areas of what they feel is their fortified protection. But really, the times of uncertainty don't create something new in us. It reveals that which has already been hidden in our heart. And so what do we do in uncertain times? When I was younger, I I remember going into the woods, and I don't know if it was my father or someone, they bought a little survival kit, and... Survival kits are interesting um, because they promote the contents within it based on the worst-case scenario. How many of you are worst-case scenario people? (laughs) You're like, I'm not raising my hand. (laughs) It's like, now if the car ever gets four flats and my cell phone dies and I am in this remote area and I'm rolled over in a ditch and you're like, wait, what? And you're like, you never know. You never know what's going to happen, and I don't know about you, but how easy is it in your children's lives, in your financial life, in your physical health, to always run to the worst-case scenario? We always go there, and you're like, hey, I just, I want you to know, something bad is going to happen. You're like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what's going to go on, but something bad is going to happen. Like, what are you? I remember watching Doomsday Preppers. Any of you remember that show on TV, Doomsday Preppers? It was wild. People spent their entire lives formulating strategies and plans around what if this happened. (laughs) And never lived in the moment. Never lived in the, the present today to affect tomorrow. And I really believe, listen, I feel that God's placed certain things on my heart today. One is to remind you who you are today in Christ, first and foremost. Second, to fix your eyes upon the author and the perfecter of our faith, and that is Jesus. And then also, I've been reminded of some things. I've noticed something even in my own life. How many of you have seen your children react to certain things, and the first question you ask yourself, where did they get that? Do you know what I'm saying? And you look at your spouse, you're like, that's your gene. You know, know, I'm just kidding. But you ask yourself, where did that come from? Is that negativity from me? Is it fear and doubt from me? Is the anxiousness from, do we produce that in our home? Where does it come from? I've watched people in church in these seasons respond. I've watched my family respond. I've watched our society and our nation respond. I've watched people do things under the cloak of wisdom, but at the core of most of it is fear. It's driving us forward into things of fear. And it's, it's living under this umbrella of, I'm just trying to be wise, but fear is, is at its core. Where does it come from? It comes from us not trusting in Christ alone. And saying, God, I really believe that you're at the, at the, at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of all of this. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult to make blanket statements. I know for me, in the pastorate, people would say to me, You know, Pastor, it's not as simple as you make it out to be. It's not that easy. Not every situation is the same. So you're right, it's not. When I was 25 and um, single, I was the executive pastor of this church. I'd stand on the pulpit every Sunday and talk about trusting God and being obedient to his word. I'd preach on purity and trusting the Lord and and I'd pray all the time at my small group in my crew saying, God, I'm just believing for my wife. I'd pray for my wife like I knew her, although I had never met her. And I believed that God would answer my prayer. And I understood the tensions and the challenges and In that season of being single, um, I remember God speaking to me about fixing my eyes on what I do have in the season of singleness that I will never have again once I get married. And that God wants to use it, not waste it. And so many of us neglect the seasons we're in in anticipation of what's to come that we waste the season that God's blessed us with. And God doesn't want you to waste what's before you. He doesn't want us as the church to waste the season we're in. He doesn't want us to waste the opportunity that's right in front of us, in our families, in our state, in our nation. Don't waste it. Recognize that which is before you. See the opportunity. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you in all things. I remember standing in front of multiple couples, dozens of couples, new to the Lord, and they'd come into church and they'd say, Pastor, we want you us, we would like you to marry us. And and I remember at times dreading, dreading having conversations with people. Because I knew people were living with one another, not only living with one another, I knew they were sleeping with one another. And I, I would I would contemplate these conversations in my head saying, Oh, I'm just gonna let. Pastor John have the conversation. I remember having these things in all these conversations. And what was the tension? Well, where did the tension come from? The tension came from me wanting people just to be happy, just enjoy life. And then the other side was like, well, no, real freedom is found in obeying God's word. And so where do we navigate our conversation? Where do we meander it? Where, where, do we only proclaim that which makes us feel good? The danger in that is to lead us to a path of empty promises, to take us to a place to say that many of us today in our nation navigate truth by one thing. How does it make me feel? And it leads to emptiness. It leads to the absence of God. And I remember walking into these meetings. And having conversations with people. And the first objection would be, well, you don't understand. You don't understand. And, and you know what? Then I, would, I had the response. And I, I remember it oftentimes saying, this is the only way I know how to love you. Yeah. Because if I loved you in my flesh and absent of God, I'd say, you know what? If it makes you happy, I, no one needs to know. It's all right. It's not a big deal. I'll just do it. But it is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal to God. And I've noticed in our society today, the church has acquiesced issues of morality to politics. We've acquiesced it. We've we've said it's not. It's a political issue. Pastor, don't talk about it. Since when is abortion a political issue? Since when is the institution of marriage a political issue? Since when is issues of sexuality that's being taught in the state of New Jersey a political issue? And the truth is, is that as a church, you know, what we've done for centuries, we've just said, well, I'm just going to pray about it. I cannot find in the word of God where he instructed someone to pray and then to lock themselves in a room. He doesn't do that. He causes you to pray so that the presence of God would precede you in all that you do. But then he says, get up and go and start moving. And I'm torn and convicted. I've, I've made some declarations in my own life for this house and what we will do moving forward. I'm not interested in appeasing mass people. I have no desire just to build a grand church. I have no desire to gather crowds. I want, the, I want God's truth to be evident in our life. I, and, and listen, this house will always be open to those who are far from God. It will always be open to the communities in which we serve. To anyone who is far from God, they're present to come. But may we at our deepest convictions understand that we need to love people to freedom. And loving them to freedom means helping them walk in truth. Like you either believe, hear me church, you either believe that God's word brings brings freedom or you don't. You either believe it brings freedom or you don't. And I say that to say this because many of us like to convince ourselves that I just want people to be happy. What is that? What is that? The Bible says this. It says that those who are far from God, they do not serve God, the Almighty. They serve themselves. So what you're saying to them is that I, I, I'm going to allow you to believe that serving yourself will produce something of everlasting life with God. The confusion, the manipulation that is used in that. I don't ever want someone to be upset. I don't get joy out of telling someone that doesn't honor God. I don't even like having conversations with my own family about things that are wrong in my life and things that I need to navigate. God's word is true, and it's. he calls us in 1 John, he says that God is faithful To do what? To forgive us when we fall. He never is standing here saying, whoa, that's 5,675 times you failed. This is no more time. No, he says, just come as you are. But it requires and it has this presupposition and this precedent on it that says, I will come back to you, God, and acknowledge my shortfall, my failings. And I will ask for forgiveness before you. The danger in living in sin... Is that you continue to do it and you think that it's justified before God. Because I've been doing it so long. God God understands. He understands that it's the very thing that separates you from the Father. That's why Christ came. Much of what we witness today is an issue of sin. We don't want to talk about sin. Because in some way it's upsetting to people. What's upsetting is that we've avoided conversation that can set people free. The uncertain times we live in reveal not only what's in our heart, but what we've been consumed with and what we are consuming in our spirit. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart, God, that I might not sin against you. David knew the challenges and struggles and the things that were before him as i was teaching in the college the other evening in our leadership course of christian leadership we were presented with a few different things about what a good leader's life looks like about this idea of purity and what it means to be pure before god we talked about these concepts in many ways and we talked about devotion and what what is more important is it is it is it purity of devotion to God or is it purity of thought and action? And, and immediately you would run to the, to the decision of saying, well, it's purity based on devotion of thought and action of, of what we do and what we think. But the further you study it, you realize that the purest thing as a leader is to have a devotion to God. Because devotion will always bring you back after your thought and actions fail. Now, thought and actions, we can never live to the standard of God. That's why King David, even in all of his shortcomings, he murdered somebody, he committed adultery, he did all those things, but he had the devotion to find his way back to humble himself before God. Having a devotion to God. In uncertain times, we need to stop listening to voices of negativity. I've been saying this like a broken record from this platform since March. Stop listening to negativity in your world. And at some point, you have to, li- you have to own up to the, to the ramifications of your own ignorance or stupidity. I had to do that myself. So I'm always so angry. What are you listening to? What's on the radio? What's on the television? What are you feeding your soul? Many of us don't realize that we're eating the fruit of that which we've planted in the field of our heart. Like, I don't like this fruit. Well, you've planted it. Now you got to eat it. Start planting the word of God in your spirit so that when peace, that surpasses all understanding, Philippians says, and it says this, it will do what? What will peace do? Make you feel good? No, guard your heart. See, we think everything that God gives us is about our own enjoyment making you feel good you getting the results of everything you want sometimes god works in such a way that you feel deprived of the thing you want but god gets the glory at the end <laughs> god we want a concert we want we want things to come out this way and god's like for whose benefit and for whose glory god will get all the glory and he won't relinquish it to any man. He alone is worthy of that. And he doesn't want you to place your trust in any outcome of any situation or any circumstance. He wants you fully to trust in him. Amen? So as you navigate, I, I think of the word, you could go from the beginning to the end and find out every situation. The people of, Egypt, the people of Israel, when Moses brought them out of Egypt, he takes them before the Red Sea. And he takes them. They've been in captivity and in slavery for 400 years. And he brings them out, and they're getting ready to experience freedom. They're being navigated by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night. Literally, the presence of God is before them every single day and night. And they face their first obstacle, and what do they do? Oh, no. We should probably go back. We should go back. And yet we laugh at that. But as a church, we do the same thing. We say, oh, no, God, where are you? He's never left us. He's never left us. It's almost as if God's trying to say, hey, listen, I know you trust me when it feels good and it seems right. I need you to trust me even when it seems all is lost. Everything is gone. There is no good to come out of what's happening. God just says, like Moses, stand and watch. Watch and see. And watch God's hand move. Does it mean that we are absent in what moves before us? No. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Not on the events that surround us. If you do that, your life will be like this. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. Oh, no, that's bad. It's like, whoa, you're going to need medication soon if you don't stop. Like, fix your eyes on Jesus. Trust him in all of your ways. Isaiah 35, 4. He says to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Fear is vision without optimism. It's looking to the future and saying, oh, we have no hope. Well, who's, who do you place your hope in? I had the conversation with my children the other day. I said, where do we put our hope and our trust? They said, yeah. they're, they're younger. I just want them to know early on, like, we trust God. We place our hope in God. And that's it. That's where it's resolved. We need to stop allowing fear and uncertainty and worry to rule and to paralyze us. Too many people are saying, I'm losing sleep, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. God will use all things, and He you know what he does? He uses them to become the object of your focus. It's like, oh, it's like, you know, we're, God's back here. We're supposed to be following him, and we're off on a stroll this way, telling everyone we're following God. Things happen in our world, and we panic, and we go, oh, no, God, can you help us? Things are going bad. And He says, no, things are great. Keep following me. You see what I'm saying? No, no, things are good. Just keep following me. And then when we want God to fix things, then we say, oh, God, thanks. Appreciate it. And we start walking this way again. And God's like, oh, okay. It's God not interested in that. He's interested in you focusing on God. In the good seasons, in the bad seasons. What type of relationship do we have with God? Think about it in your own life. When are you on your knees praying before God? Is it only when you get a bad health report, when finances are gone, when nothing else seems okay? Is that the only time that we're before God? Do you know, there are some things that I heard from David Barton when he was sharing, and, and I was so convicted by a few things. That Benjamin Franklin, who was considered the least religious of all the founding fathers, and a deist at, at what some would argue, knew more scripture than probably every pastor in America. God, where have we gone? Where have we gone to neglect the things of your word and your truth? And that's where we should all strive. Not to live with condemnation and guilt. The Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But to recalculate and to fix our focus on the things of God. Can you say amen? amen. And so in uncertain times, we need to take our focus off of that which is before us. Of uncertainty. Of lack. Of loss. Of loss. And fix our eyes on God. Philippians four thirteen it says, "I am not saying this." This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Church of Philippi. He says, "I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. To know what it is to be in need, and to know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret. Tell us the secret, Paul, of being content in any and in every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. He says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, was that the secret, Paul? <laughs> There's something else coming, right? He's like, no. I, I, I love this, this framing of this. The point is, that's not the point. Whether you have little or have much. Yeah. Paul's saying the object of my strength is not in my possessions, it's in, it's in God. And I've learned how to not lose sight of that. Whether I live in a small home or in a mansion, Paul says, I've learned how to not lose sight of what? Of who God is. Because he's the source of all my strength. We need to be constantly reminded of our source. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 through 8, the scripture says this, this is what the Lord declares. Hear the language in this, church. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes, and they will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where, where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Hmm. As children of God, we must always remember a few things. Maybe more so now than ever before. That our adversary, your adversary, my adversary, hear me now, is not another denomination. It's not a political party. It's not our neighbor. It's not a piece of legislation. It's not, it's not that. That's not our adversary. The Bible declares that our adversary is a kingdom of darkness, spiritual forces that manifests itself in other people to promote things that are in opposition to God. That's what the Bible says our adversary is. And we have a real adversary before us. Now, this is is the challenge. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Okay, so this is the challenge. The Bible, Jesus literally says a prayer to the Father. He says, don't take them out of the world. So we are in the world, but not of the world. In it, but not of it. In it, but not of it. The danger is that if we're not in it, we can't change it. And some of us think that we are not supposed to be in it, but how can we be the salt of the earth if we're not in the world? And so, this idea to not be in the world essentially renders us useless, as it says in the text that if we fail to, if we are no longer salty, we are good for nothing. So, we must be in the world, but not of the world. Why? To change it. To change it. To be the light of the earth. Not to hide ourselves away in our buildings. But to engage society. To what? Have political victories? No. To advance the things of God. To advance the things of God. Scripture says when the righteous rule the people rejoice. And I fear that as believers in Jesus we've We've hidden ourselves in pockets of society. And as long as things are good for us and our family and everything seems to go okay and I have a good job and my family's all right and it's all right, let's just keep going. We'll go to church and we'll pray and we'll do those things. And I just, I'm sorry to say, I think we need to do more. I think we need to advocate more. I think we need to proclaim, not to just advocate opinions, but to usher in truth and to love people as we do it. Do you want to know how it, what it means to die to your flesh is to stand before people as they accuse you and belittle you and demean you for believing in a sovereign, almighty God and believing that his word is true. But that's what we're called to. And I believe that there's a season for us as believers, an opportunity for us, to declare God's word and not just in the privacy of conversations but publicly one of the most unnerving things today for me to witness is where our nation and is heading in some ways but as things seem to be getting dark, I always know that it is an opportunity for the church to be all that it's called to be, which is the light of the world. I was in a conversation with someone the other day and they said, "Um, how are you hoping that the election comes out? And they were asking me all these questions about state and this and this region and that. And I said, I, I tend to think about what God can do with me and how he can use me as a vessel to proclaim truth. I think less about outcomes of races and more about personal decisions, personal conversations. And I don't want to become absent from affecting change in my world. But I've noticed in conversation, even specifically with many millennials, that they'll say things like, well, I really feel... And this is really how I feel about it. (laughs) And what they really are declaring to me is that their feelings are the navigation by which they live their lives. It's an unnerving thing to watch legislation that violates commandment after commandment after commandment become secondary to that what makes you feel a certain way. And I don't believe it's done with intentionality. And most of the time, I don't even believe it's done with defiance or malice. I think it's mere ignorance. And I believe that's where we need to start having more conversations. One of the things I feel like the Lord spoke to me going into 2021 is biblical literacy. And as a church, we're going to be navigating some things going into the future this new year. And we're going to be intentional about knowing this. How many of you have a Bible in your hand, an actual real Bible with pages? Don't hold up no cell phone, Hold up a real Bible in your hand. How many of you have it? Hold it up. There's like a dozen of you. Now, there's no condemnation in this place, all right? So it's okay. How many of you have your cell phone? How many of you have your cell phone? We don't leave home without that. I want to make sure that we know the word, that we live on this, that we abide in this, and that we trust in this. And so going into the new year, we are going to be intentional about knowing the Word. Because you can't share that which you don't carry. And you will not operate out of the conviction that you don't have. And for many of us, we need to recalibrate our convictions and our beliefs. Not on our opinions, not based upon the news, not based upon politicians, not based upon people who are friends of ours but are far from God and have never surrendered their lives to Jesus, but based upon His Word alone. I want to pray for some of you today and some of you that are joining us online, and I know that you've probably meandered your way into this place, and I don't want to ever assume that everyone within the sound of my voice has surrendered their life to Jesus. The Bible says that one thing separates us from God, one thing, sin. Now, Sin can manifest itself in many different ways, but sin separates us from God. Many people say, well, what do I need to do to fix that? There's nothing you could do. The truth be told, there's nothing you could do to fix the issue of sin in your own life. But that's why the gospel is considered the good news. The greatest news to all humanity is because God sent his son from heaven to earth. We don't have to strive from earth to heaven to accomplish salvation. God sent Jesus, his one and only son, from heaven to earth to do what? To redeem us, to reconcile us, to buy us back, to do what? To make a way, to deal with our sin. That's what he did. He's dealt with it. He's paid for it. He didn't, he didn't just put a down payment on your sin. He's paid for it in full. So what does that ultimately mean to those who are far from God? It means that you can be in right standing with God the Father. Perfect standing so when He sees you, He doesn't see you in your imperfection and in your unrighteousness. He sees you washed in the blood of His Son, standing before Him pure as snow, righteous as His Son. That's how you and I make our way to the throne of heaven and spend eternity with the Father. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that it is by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. It simply prevents people that are ambitious from acquiring salvation and judging other people saying, you're not good enough. Work a little harder and then God will love you. That's not grace. Grace is radical. It's inexhaustible. Can't be used up. He says, come as you are, broken, fearful, anxious, stressed. Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest, the scripture says. And so he calls you right where you are, not to intimidate you and not to make you feel overwhelmed. But he calls you where you are so that you can find freedom that comes through Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And so wherever you find yourself today in this journey of life, I'd like to ask you if you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus. I not you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Everyone online who's watching and ready to confess their need of Jesus, church, I love this opportunity we have as a church to gather around God's Word and to lead people into salvation. And so together as a church, let's say this prayer together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son, Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and purify my heart. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's clap. Let's really clap for Jesus, for everyone that said yes. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet before I pray for you and before you go. I want to do something different today and we didn't accidentally forget to collect tithes and offerings, but I wanted to leave you with this thought before you go, and before I pray for you, um, to encourage you in your giving. This season of uncertainty has caused many people to really re-examine their financial investments. Last week, Pastor Luis shared about the prophet Elijah, about how God called him to proclaim a drought. And then when the raven stopped bringing food and the brook dried up, he says, now go. We didn't talk about what happened next. But after that, he sent him to a widow who he had a conversation with. And she had no food, nothing left. And the prophet comes to her. And the first thing the prophet says to her is, go make me something. And she says, I have nothing. I have no oil. I have a little bit left and a little bit of flour. And I'm going to go make our last meal. And my son and I are going to die. That's what she says. And he says, Go make me something first. And then he says this, and do not be afraid. I've realized in my life this one principle that there's two givers in our in our world today. There are people who give God leftovers, and there are people who give God their first fruits. People who give God their leftovers unknowingly see themselves as the source of their own prosperity. They see themselves as it, and that's why there's no need to honor God because everything I've acquired I've done in my own strength. It's through my education, it's through my hard work, it's what I've acquired, and I have it and I will do with it as I please. And then there is another group who recognize that all of they ha- everything they have comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so when they're blessed, they bring their first fruits to the house. And they honor God because He's their source of sufficiency. I want to encourage you in the area of giving There's no condemnation For those who are on their journey, but I want you to know what the Word of God declares It declares that those who are in Christ to bring the first fruits to the house, and I want to say something I have never seen the generosity in seasons of uncertainty like we're having before my life in this house people that have been faithful Um, in their giving have given more and it has sustained us and enabled us to continue to proclaim the gospel in seasons of uncertainty and so thank you for giving thank you for trusting God and for everyone who's going to take that next step of giving let me just say this thank you not thank you for giving but thank you for trusting God because your trust in God will affect your family your community and your walk with Him stretch your hands to heaven let me pray for you as you go Father, I thank you that your word is truth, that it guides us and directs us in all of our ways. And Father, I pray today that as you guide us and direct us in all of our ways, that we can remain steadfast in feeding our spirit with your word, that we can recognize that the enemy has traps all around us, that he's hiding and waiting to prey upon us. And But Father your word declares that no weapon formed against us will prosper. The greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So Father, in authority and conviction and in faith, may we walk with confidence in the world that you've called us to impact. May we be the light of the world. May we be the salt of the earth. Father, may we engage in conversation. May we love those who persecute us. May we love those who disagree with us. May we recognize our adversary is not our neighbor. It's not a political party. It's not people that are opposed to our thoughts and our opinions, but it's the, it's the Spirit that opposes itself to the Word of God. And Father, may the peace of God rule and reign in us and may it guard our heart above all things. Father, we love you and it's in your precious and holy name we declare. Amen. Amen. God bless.